This is episode number 87 with Akil Palinasamy. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Dr. Akil is a Harvard-trained physician who practices integrative medicine, incorporating the best of conventional medicine and alternative therapies. He is a holistic doctor who completed his pre-medical training in biochemistry at Harvard University, received his medical degree from the University of California in San Francisco, and completed his residency in family medicine at Stanford University. He also completed a fellowship in integrative medicine with Dr. Andrew Well at the University of Arizona and is certified by the Center of Mind-Body Medicine at Georgetown University. He practices at the Institute for Health and Healing in San Francisco, one of the oldest centers for integrative medicine in the United States. He has worked with thousands of patients to help them heal and recover from chronic diseases using dietary changes and nutritional supplements. He blends his Western medical training with holistic approaches, including functional medicine and Ayurveda, the traditional medicine of India. Dr. Akil has been doing pioneering work in integrative medicine education and clinical practices for many years. He brings compassion, insight, and in-depth knowledge and experience to his work, successfully treating a wide variety of serious health conditions, including autoimmune diseases, digestive disorders, hormone imbalance, and stress-related illnesses. And he is also an avid practitioner of yoga and meditation. And in today's episode, we chat about his journey from being unwell with chronic pain to thriving and where he is today, the six ways to improve your digestion, what the kitchen pharmacy is, the power of spices, why you want to add them into your diet and his top 13 spices, to eat grains or to not eat grains, the big question, what everyone needs to have for breakfast the brain tonic you want to add into your diet, how to be a vegan right, what the average dinner plate can look like for a vata, pitta and kapha body type, the role of food combining in the paleovedic way, why you want to start scraping your tongue, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 87. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week and that comes from Kath Hansen. And she says, this podcast is my go-to and the first I recommend. A huge amount of aha moments within this podcast. Amazing people interviewed with so much wisdom, authenticity, and massive hearts. Thank you, Melissa, for creating such an epic podcast. And thank you to Nick for recommending two books that are shining a lot of light in my relationships. 
Oh, you're so welcome, Kath. And thank you so much for that epic five-star review. I am so grateful and I love that you're getting so much out of each show. And don't forget to leave me a review for your chance to be the review of the week next week. And without further ado, let's bring on this super inspiring Akil Palanasami. Akil, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Absolutely. Yeah. So I had a couple of hard-boiled eggs, an organic apple, and I had a, a smoothie that I make with rice protein and some veggies. And then I had some almonds. Mm, that sounds delicious. A big breakfast. Yeah, it's huge, huge breakfast. Do you always eat such a big breakfast? I tend to, yeah. That gets me going for the day usually. So like many healers, you have had to heal yourself and this led you down the path of Ayurveda. Now, can you tell us about your journey to where you are today? It started for me when I was in uh, medical school at the University of California, San Francisco. And um, it was my dream you know, to study medicine and I had been preparing for this my whole life. And a couple of years before starting medical school in college, I had become a vegetarian, having gotten really interested in health and deepening my yoga practice and for ethical reasons. So I had become a vegetarian and, you know, felt really good. But then once medical school started and after a year of the stress, I began having severe pain. I developed carpal tunnel syndrome and back pain as well as a severe neck pain and was no longer able to, you know, write my exams or write my assignments, use the computer. I actually developed continuous chronic pain, you know, 24-7. And uh, it got to the point where I had to stop medical training and take a year off. And I really wasn't sure if I would be able to return because I had seen all of the conventional medical doctors and I had been doing physical therapy, taking anti-inflammatories, you know, all the usual treatments for a couple of years and really was not getting better. And so it was at that point that I really came to question whether my diet was playing a role in my illness. And even though it was a, a big struggle for me in my family to you know eat vegetarian and other people thought that I was making a big mistake. You know, I was very adamant about following the, the vegetarian diet. But at that point, because I was just at the end of my rope and, you know, had to take time off from my medical training, I opened my mind and questioned whether, you know, maybe there was something that I didn't know that could really change my health. And so I went to an Ayurvedic practitioner. And at that time, you know, she was the first person who suggested that I incorporate some animal products into my diet. And she suggested that I have bone broth, uh, actually. And uh, this was about 20 years ago before bone broth was really a thing like it is now. But Ayurveda actually uses bone broth uh, extensively for gut healing. That was the first time that I really noticed an improvement in my health, uh, just like a 10% change. But that was really from bone broth and having the uh, dietary changes. And then um, gradually, I began to experiment with having more animal products and meat back in my diet and really felt that uh, it was transformative in terms of um, you know, getting me back my, uh, my energy, reducing pain, 
It was only later when I trained in Ayurveda that I understood that for certain body types, you know, some animal protein is necessary, and um, I'm one of those body types. During the rest of the year, I also did some functional medicine workup and, and treatment, learning about my microbiome and uh, you know, adding in fermented foods and taking more of a paleo approach to my diet and correcting other things like yeast overgrowth and you know, other imbalances. And so it was the combination of functional medicine and Ayurveda that really made the big difference in getting me back to optimal health and letting me return to medical school and you know, finish my training and so those are the modalities that I am um, really passionate about and use in my practice uh, today. And your book, The Paleovedic Diet, is one of the most humble, not strict, not preachy books that I've ever read. I loved your book so much. And I love that it was your clients that said to you, you have to write a book and you have to share your knowledge with the world. And I'm so glad you did because you know your stuff and it works. And you've seen it work so many times for your clients and in your clinic because there's a lot of information out there and your stuff has been tested and proven and your theories work, which is why I'm so pumped to have you on the show today. This book is life-changing. For anyone who hasn't read it yet, we'll link to it in the show notes. It is very, very interesting and will deepen your knowledge in Ayurveda and functional medicine. And I love that it is a holistic approach. So thank you so much for writing it and for sharing it with the world. And we know that Everyone's loving Ayurveda at the moment. I've had a few people on the show talk about it. I've had Laura Plum and Sahara Rose and Dr. Stephen Cabral and, and my husband talks about it. And I am so excited to dive deeper into it with you today. But for those that don't know, I am a Pitta Kapha and Nick, my husband, is a Vata Pitta. And what I love about your book is it's so practical, so Let's begin where it all starts, which is digestion. Digestion is so important because we aren't what we eat. We are what we digest. You know, we can be eating all of the organic food in the world, but if we aren't digesting and really absorbing all of that beautiful nutrients and vitamins and minerals from our food, there's no point. So how can we improve our digestion, our agni, our digestive fire? Like, What are some things that we can do today to really improve our digestion? I think it's wonderful, Melissa, that you've uh, focused so much on Ayurveda in your podcasts. And uh, I think it's, it's really a wonderful system that has so much to offer the modern world. And you're exactly right. Um, Ayurveda believes that all disease starts in the gut. And so having a very healthy agni or the digestive fire is really the, uh, the foundation. And uh, I think there's some, you know, very basic things that people can do in terms of having a strong agni. You know, one is uh, first thing upon waking in the morning to have a glass of uh, warm water with lemon and also a little bit of honey as well is, is fine. And that's a great way to start the day. Also, throughout the day, avoiding iced water is uh, is very important. So in Ayurveda, the temperature of the food and water should be you know warm most of the time. So it's very common to have you know sodas and drinks with ice, but that's a no no in Ayurveda. So just avoiding iced water and having uh, either warm or room temperature water 
throughout the day is very important. And uh, a big part of Ayurveda also is use of spices. So in my book, I talk about 13 spices that are really crucial. Um, you know, I call call them the kitchen pharmacy because spices are really um, a part of medicine in Ayurveda. You know, they're considered to be therapies. Everyone has heard of uh, turmeric and, you know, the, the, and rightly so because it's an amazing spice, but uh, there's so many others, um, you know, that are uh, incredible, like uh, uh, ginger, cumin, fennel, black cumin, fenugreek, cinnamon, etc. So I think incorporating spices is really a, a great way to keep the agni and digestive fire strong. You know, since I'm also a functional medicine doctor, I, I, I've seen some things that help the microbiome or the gut bacteria, you know, also really help with the agni. And that is to have fermented foods on most days because of their good bacteria. And then having plenty of prebiotic foods as well. So the fermented foods have the probiotics and then the prebiotic foods have the food for the gut bacteria. So that's that's very important as well. And then, of course, there's a huge mind-body component. So keeping the digestion strong is also related to managing your stress. And the best way to do that is have a daily technique that's just like you, you know, vacuum your house once a week. Every day, if you just practice a technique to lower the level of stress, help clear out whatever is accumulating in, in your body, whether that be through yoga or meditation or Pilates or type of exercise, uh, whatever that is for you, I think a daily uh, stress reduction technique is really important. And that also helps with the Agni. Great tips. But what are your thoughts on the fermented foods and the prebiotic foods? I believe that no one should just be going and smashing those things unless they have the results, unless they have the test. Because I, in the past, have gone out and absolutely smashed fermented foods, prebiotics, and bone broths and caused myself SIBO, serious candida overgrowth, and histamine issues. I just don't want people to kind of go out there and go, yay, I'm going to start smashing fermented foods. Like, what is your advice for people so that they know what's the right thing for them? That's a great point. And I think, uh, you know, fermented foods as well are um, incredibly powerful and, and really medicinal. And so I think if you're someone who uh, is, has not uh, been consuming them, I think the key thing is experimenting. And also the dose is very important, you know, because the, sometimes with fermented food, like for example, with um, sauerkraut, you might start with just a teaspoon of the sauerkraut juice, you know, not even the actual cabbage. And, or if you're starting with kefir, you know, you might only start with a teaspoon because uh, it's really important to start slow when it comes to fermented foods and see how your body's responding to it. And if you start getting, you know, negative reactions like bloating or pain or, or gas, then it could well indicate an issue in terms of SIBO or yeast overgrowth or something else. So it, the best way to do it is just um, you know experiment and use very low doses in the beginning. And it's ideal if you have a practitioner who can test you first, of course, to to know you know that you're in a good place to to even begin those uh, those foods. Mm -hmm. I think getting the tests is just vital and remembering about bioindividuality and, you know, the different body types, the pitta, kapha and vata, like really taking into consideration you and your constitution and bioindividuality is really important. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the foundation of Ayurveda. And, you know, so many people um, are, are told that one size doesn't fit all when it comes to nutrition, but actually figuring out what's 
right for you is uh, is very difficult on a practical level. And so that's where I have found that uh, p- the paleo template is really more of a starting point. You know, that should not be an end point where you're just uh, kind of deciding, okay, I'm going to be eating paleo and this is exactly what I'm going to eat, but using paleo as a starting point and then bringing in the Ayurveda to customize it and really individualize it to your body type and your unique nature. I think that's really the strength of Ayurveda. Mm, I love that. I just love it so much. This is why I love it because it is so individual and it's about really figuring out what works for you. And often people will ask me, what do I eat? And I don't tell them. I'm like, you need to discover what's right for you. It doesn't matter what I eat. You need to work out what's right for you and your body type. And like I mentioned before, my husband is a Vada Pitta and I am more Pitta Kapha. So we eat very differently. Like he needs a lot more carbohydrates than me. You can almost see it in his face when he's like, and it's like, you know, one of those Energizer bunnies. You can see him just go and like start to need some more carbohydrates. We're just so different. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. We're all so different and unique and discovering what works for you is is part of the journey and part of the fun, I think anyway. You spoke before about the spices and the importance of spices and you've got 13 favorites. Now I have a little favorite combo and that is cumin, coriander, fennel, powdered ginger, cardamom, turmeric, and black pepper. That's my favorite little combo. And sometimes I'll put that on like some wild caught fish and it's just so delicious. But can you tell us why spices are so important and what are your top 13? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. There's four reasons that um, spices are so important for you know today's world, and they are the antioxidant component, the anti-inflammatory aspect, blood sugar regulation, and digestive uh, enhancement. And so we can start with um, the antioxidant aspect, and that is relating to oxidative stress, which is basically the strain on our body from everything like, um, you know, our uh, metabolism and also uh, pollution, toxins, uh, radiation. These are things which are unavoidable. And so oxidative stress is kind of the norm for our, our modern world. And that's why antioxidants are so important. And for example, um, turmeric and, and ginger and pretty much every spice when they've tested them has uh, found to be uh, rich in antioxidants and, and usually a, a variety of different antioxidants as well. So the second thing was the anti-inflammatory effect. And I think chronic inflammation is the other kind of modern bane of our existence. And spices work on really a broad array of inflammatory genes to downregulate them like um, NF-kappa B, you know, nuclear factor kappa B is one of the most well-studied that is an anti-inflammatory gene. And many spices uh, block the activation of that. And so I, I think their effect on reducing inflammation is, is also very potent. And then multiple spices really help with blood sugar. You know, diabetes is, is spiraling out of control all over the world. And um, there are many people with prediabetes and impaired uh, blood sugar regulation who don't even know it. You know, mo- in fact, most of them don't know it. So spices really help with uh, maintaining healthy blood sugar. And there's a lot of research evidence now to support that. So I think it's ideal to prevent the development of diabetes, you know, just like uh, in any situation, Ayurveda believes prevention is better than treating the so spices can help with you know the blood sugar aspect and then finally you know ayurveda believes that 
all disease starts in the gut. And so that agni uh, or digestive fire is really the crucial thing. And so spices can be a, a really powerful tool that helps with keeping that agni strong and, uh, you know, helping your digestion to run well and preventing all illnesses, you know, as a result of that. Mm. And another thing that I love about you is you're not exclusive of grains in your version of the Paleo-Vedic. You do use them in your 21-day detox, which includes your classic recipe of kitchery. Now, what's your view on grains? Because for some body types, they thrive on them, but for others, they don't. So what's your take on this? It's a complex topic. And you know, because Ayurveda really believes in customizing things, I don't think we can say that all grains are bad for everybody. Because we we all know that there you know there are people who eat um, grains and seem to thrive on them and seem to do fairly well you know tolerating them. I think that with uh, wheat and gluten you know that's where in terms of grains more people have an issue because the wheat that we have in our world today is very different from the wheat that was hundred um, here hundred years ago you know that our grandparents ate. It's genetically been modified. The number of chromosomes is different. It's much higher in starch. It's much higher in gluten, lower in other nutrients as well. And also, I think there's an interaction with the microbiome. So we need to have a very healthy microbiome to consume grains and especially wheat. And so there's a lot of things that have to be going going right for people to eat grains. And you know, if all those things are going well, like they're having a healthy microbiome, they um, don't have blood sugar issues or prediabetes. They don't have sensitivities to grains, and they're generally feeling well. Then I think they, and also they're physically active. Um, I think they can incorporate grains. Um, and um, you know, I'm more of a fan of the gluten-free grains in general. Um, in Ayur- in Ayurveda, uh, white rice, um, you know, white basmati rice is considered the easiest to digest. You know, uh, more so than brown rice, and so that's what's used in the kitchari recipe that you mentioned. You know, there's in different parts of the world other gluten-free grains have been used like sorghum and millet in Africa and, of course, rice in, in Asia and corn in South America. So I think that depending on the person, you know, if all those things are going well and they're tolerating grains well, I think that they can have a place in a healthy diet. Mm, that's really great information because I think a lot of people either get really, really scared of them and just cut them out completely. But, you know, for someone like my husband, he really thrives on rice and kitchery and quinoa. Like he thrives on that stuff at the moment. You know, that's what is really working for him and his body. And he recently did an Ayurveda series on his podcast. His podcast is called Broad New World. And he talks about starting your day with a big berry smoothie. And you also have a recipe called the super spiced morning smoothie. Now, why do you think that is the best way to start the day? No, we all could benefit from having more fruits and vegetables in our diet. And uh, a smoothie is just a convenient way to boost the number and you know supercharge your morning breakfast with that. But I, I don't think it necessarily has to be the only thing you're eating in the morning. You know, like, for example, you might have, have eggs and, you know, some nuts and a smoothie as well, you know, like I, like I did today. But, you know, there are some purists in Ayurveda who would say that a smoothie should not be consumed because it's um, cold and, you know, it's, it's processed. You're not getting the full experience of eating. And that's where I'm not a strict purist in terms of Ayurveda because I can see where they're coming from. But I also think that, you know, we're all busy. We all have you know, very full lives. And 
sometimes these shortcuts like making a smoothie can be really beneficial, you know, as long as you're using all those right ingredients. Plus, finally, I think getting spices, it's it's really a matter of um, cumulative lifetime dose. So um, like, for example, with turmeric, you know, the reason why um, India has such a low rate of Alzheimer's is probably uh, the, the amount of turmeric they consume over their whole life. And so if you can just figure out ways to get it into your meals every day, you know, I think uh, you may not like to have Indian food every day, but if you have turmeric and black pepper in your smoothie, that'll be, uh, that'll be a great way to, you know, get that dose of turmeric for the day. If it doesn't suit the food that you're cooking, you can always make beautiful teas, you know, like cumin, coriander and fennel tea is just absolutely delicious and ginger and you can get these beautiful spices in through teas. I think that's an amazing way. That's something that we do to really make sure that we're constantly getting them in. And for us, you know, we have a 12-year-old little boy and he starts his day with a massive big berry smoothie. And we'd say you can have whatever you want as well after that. But we, the reason we do it is because we know that he's then kind of set up for the day. He's had a lot of water, which is great. And he's got, you know, the berries and we put some other great little things in there for him. So it's kind of like whatever happens after that at school or whatever, at least he's had that and he's had a really great start to the day. Also, we blend his smoothies and our smoothies so they are room temperature. So I get what the purists in Ayurveda were saying about, I never drink cold water ever. For me, it's it's always room temperature, warm water. If I'm having a glass of water, I'll boil the kettle and I'll put a splash of hot water in there just to make it more digestible. But with all of our smoothies, we blend them. We have a Vitamix and you can blend them so that it becomes a little bit more room temperature. So for everyone listening, you know, that's a great thing. Absolutely cringe when I see people put ice in their smoothies. I'm just like, oh no, what are you doing? You know, and my dad does that. My dad can't drink water without ice in it. And I've told him so many times, but you know, he's not ready to let go of that one just yet. But yeah, you know, everyone, just something that we can do today, start having room temperature water and smoothies. And it doesn't have to be hot, of course, you know, just room temperature. It doesn't have to be ice cold. But I often, if I'm feeling like my digestion is a little bit off, you know, I will make, instead of having my vegetables, I'll blend them and almost make like a puree or a soup. And I find that that really helps with my digestion. But going back to what the Ayurveda purists say, that chewing and having the whole food, do you think it's better for you? What's your take on that? Well, I do think that, you know, most of the food that we eat, you know, should be the whole foods and should be things that we're chewing. So I do think that, you know, there's a place for smoothies, but you don't want to overdo it. You know, you don't want to be having three smoothies a day and, you know, taking shortcuts in terms of not having a regular, uh, you know, dinner, for example. So I think that there is a a place for, for smoothies. You know, you also want to be making sure you're you're varying them up because there have been some case reports about um, people who 
cause themselves some harm by having too much of the same vegetable every day. You know, for example, if you're having too much raw kale like every single day in your in your smoothie, for some people that can affect the thyroid. You know, over if you're doing that every day for years, um, and so. The key thing is really varying the ingredients of the the smoothie um, and making sure you're using that as part of your your diet, but still having plenty of you know just regular healthy whole meals. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a great great tip. Thank you so much. And I personally would wouldn't have raw kale or spinach ever because it just does not agree with me, and it's too high in oxalates. So I wouldn't I wouldn't even go down that bandwagon. But another ingredient that we use a lot of in our house is ghee and i know you are the same so can you tell us how and why this has been used for thousands of years in ayurveda and why it's so important yeah ghee is one of my favorite subjects in ayurveda it's considered um, to be a tonic for the digestive tract it's excellent for the agni it's excellent for the brain as well considered to be a brain tonic and you know our brain is mostly fat And Ayurveda also believes in this concept of ojas or vitality, which is like your um, your cellular reserves. And ghee is one of the best foods for building up the ojas, building up the uh, vitality. It's believed to help with detoxification. It's quite easy to make ghee. You know, if you don't have it in your stores, you can just get some um, some butter and melt it and. You know, I in the book I talk about exactly how to do it, but simply simply put it, you're just melting butter slowly, you know, and over about half an hour, and uh, and then you will, you know, you'll be filtering it after that, and just keeping the the clear liquid, you know, in a, in a glass jar. I think ghee yeah, has all of those health, uh, you know, benefits. It's a it's a good fat, and then also it's very rich in in certain vitamins, you know, from the nutritional perspective. So very high in um, vitamin A. Uh, vitamin K2, which is the important nutrient for bone health. It also has um, CLA or conjugated linolenic acid, which is a very beneficial fatty acid. If if the ghee comes from grass-fed butter, you know it'll have um, omega threes uh, and some vitamin D as well. And so um, you know there's just so many benefits that. Um, Come from ghee, and uh, I, I think you know. In our modern world, for the last fifty years, we've been told to you know eat a low-fat diet and and be scared about our cholesterol and be scared about too much fat, and you know that's just really uh, not uh, not correct, you know. And uh, so I think people should not be afraid of fat. Um, I think ghee is you know one of the healthiest um, fats that are that's out there, and uh, uh, it's important to to realize that you know good fats are what were consumed for you know, millions of years by uh, humans. And uh, um, so it's important to have plenty of healthy fats and not to be scared of fat as well. Mm, I think a lot of people in the past have been very, very scared of it. And I'm going to presume that everyone listening knows the importance of eating loads of vegetables. Like I'm just going to presume everyone listening knows that. But what are your thoughts on vegan diets and consuming animal protein? That's a great question. And, you know, I have no opposition to that. I think um, that works very well for for certain people, you know, and uh, in Ayurveda, the Vata body type is the the one that you know has a higher need for animal protein, but um, people that have more of a Pitta or fire um, or the Kapha or earth body types are 
generally they can be okay on a vegan or you know plant-based diet and uh, i think it really goes back to trying things out and and seeing how you feel you know i tried a near vegan diet for 3 years and you know got deathly ill so i i know that's not uh, for me but i i know uh, some of my patients who thrive you know on a, on a vegan diet and as long as you're careful to get um you know a few like the vitamin b12 and uh, K2 and a few of the key uh, nutrients that you can't get from uh, plant foods, I think a vegan diet can be a healthy option for certain people. So if you are going to go down that vegan route, it is really important that you know what you're doing and you listen to your body and you check in all the time and you make sure you're getting your bees from those other sources. I'm curious to know, what body type are you? So I'm um, Vata primarily. And uh, I do have pitta as uh, secondary in, in my dosha. Mm, you're very similar to my husband, Nick, and you've got like looking at you both, you do have very similar body types. So I would love to hear now, in your opinion, what does the average dinner plate look like for the different body types? So what would an average dinner plate look like for a vata and then for a pitta and then for a kapha? Yeah, so I think for the... Um Kaffa, they do best with uh, fasting. So I would just suggest having an empty dinner plate. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, so uh, yeah, so we'll start with the, the vatas. Um, I think, uh, yeah, vatas are the most um, active and, you know, can also be a bit restless. So they are the ones who need um, the, the biggest in terms of quantity. So they should have the, the biggest plates um, and uh, they should have probably more carbohydrates uh, as well. And of course, keep in mind, these are all generalizations, but just to, uh, just to illustrate. So for example, Vatha dinner plate might have a, you know, a couple of servings of either rice or quinoa or um, sweet potatoes. And in, in Ayurveda, a serving for when you're talking about, you know, most grains is considered to be a a handful of, uh, of food. So if you, and each person has a different sized hand, so that way you can sort of um, estimate in terms of how much, you know, you should be eating. And so, yeah, so definitely having a um, healthy amount of uh, uh, good carbohydrates. And then Vata person should avoid salads. So should avoid uh, raw, you know, vegetables generally. So for them, it's better to have cooked vegetables. And, you know, that should be um, probably half the plate. Um, you know, cooked vegetables, also with some spices and oil, because vata has dryness and coldness. So they need plenty of spice. They need plenty of oil, you know, or ghee. I tend to just pile a bunch of ghee and oil on my, uh, you know, on my plates usually. <laughs> and uh, and then finally, um, because they also need more protein, I think having some side of protein, whether that's, you know, chicken or fish, or if they're vegetarian, you know, tofu or beans, something like that is, is important as well. So I uh, recommend for Vata people always having plenty of protein and fat with, uh, with every meal, because that helps them with their, you know, high metabolism, their um, high activity level and, and that sort of thing. So moving on to pitta person. So in general, their need for um, protein is much uh, lower and more moderate. So um, their plate should still be um, half vegetables and they can do well with uh, raw vegetables depending on the person. So they might do um, you know, a salad or um, cooked vegetables and then 
pitta people tend to do you know well really well with legumes as well so I really encourage them to have beans you know or lentils if they tolerate them just making sure that they're properly soaked and you know prepared to take care of uh, lectins or other anti nutrients you know as as long as they're properly prepared i think many people can benefit from all the nutritional qualities of of beans and then pitta person So again, we're talking about two handfuls of vegetables, either salad or cooked vegetables, and then the protein serving could should be the size of the, their palm. So a smaller palm-sized serving of again, you know, either um, animal protein if if they want or vegetarian, you know, uh, protein. And um, the very best fat for pitta is ghee because it does have a cooling element. So um, they are recommended to have ghee, but for pitta, they should not have too much spice. So unlike vata where they really need the spice, you know, to warm them up, pitta people have a lot of heat and but you know they like they love spicy food typically. So that's always the the challenge is getting them to back off on the spice or if they really must have some spice, you know, the cooling spices in ayurveda are um cumin, coriander and fennel. So pitta people really want spice in their food, you know, they should use cumin, coriander and fennel and of course turmeric and uh, try to uh, avoid like the chili or the you know the excessive um other uh, other spices and then finally the kapha dinner plate would be um so kapha is the the type that generally um you know has the more slowest digestion they're the slowest in terms of metabolism so they should also be eating the least in terms of quantity so um still with you know half the plate being vegetables they um they have the option to do either you know raw or cooked uh vegetables yeah and kafat you know often they don't necessarily need to have that um the protein uh, aspect they can they have the lowest need for protein of all the three body types they tend to tend to love dairy typically you know just stereotyping so uh, if they do want to have uh, maybe a little bit of cheese or um dairy you know um as a side that would actually give them probably enough protein and then they can have the the rest of the plate with the you know either um legumes or beans or animal protein if they if they really they really want but seriously speaking for kapha body types intermittent fasting is something that's really highly recommended in ayurveda and in general having the lightest portions and you know the least amount of food compared to the other two uh, body types thank you so much that's just such great information Now I'd love to hear though what role does food combining play in the paleovedic diet In Ayurveda I think that there are you know some traditional rules about food combining I'll first talk about what I think works best in terms of what I've seen with my you know with my patients and and that is that you know the studies have shown that when you combine carbohydrates protein and fat at each meal that actually the blood sugar tends to rise more slowly and that's why in you know when they look at uh, people with diabetes the when they're having more balanced meals you know if they're having just carbohydrates it tends to spike their blood sugar but if they have uh, protein and fat along with the carbohydrates then it's a more even rise in terms of blood sugar so i found that you know in the beginning i was very gung ho about ayurvedic food combining rules with my patients and uh, so for example and there's a lot of things that are not compatible like for example if you're having fruit you should never have grains with that and fruit should only be had by itself and like dairy like cheese doesn't combine well with you know with fruit and it can get very overwhelming and uh, so um so what i've told people is to just 
experiment with what works well for them. And the reason, and one I, one general rule I do recommend is not to combine um, seafood with dairy. The reason for that is that they're just digested in very different ways. And so it's uh, it's better not to have, for example, you know, if you're having salmon, then don't have yogurt or, or cheese at the same meal. So that's one rule that I have found, you know, important, but I, I try to tell people not to get too bogged down by it, you know, like, because uh, it's ideal if you can eat fruits alone, which is the traditional Ayurvedic recommendation. However, you know, most people have some issues with blood sugar you know, that I'm seeing. And so in those cases, then I recommend not to have the fruits by themselves, but instead have the fruit, you know, at the end of the meal or together with some other protein and fat. And that will slow down the, you know, the, the absorption and the blood sugar raising effect of the fruit. Because I definitely think fruits are very healthy. And uh, I know some people are concerned about, you know, the sugars in fruit and, and all that. But I think, um, you know, fruit is combined with fiber and phytochemicals. And uh, for people worried about sugar, you know, studies have shown that actually fruit intake is inversely correlated with the risk of diabetes, meaning that um, the more fruit someone eats, the lower their risk of developing diabetes, you know, which is very um, counterintuitive. But I think it's it comes from the phytochemicals and all the beneficial nutrients in fruit. So I think that, yeah, having having fruit is is very healthy. Just to summarize, yeah, I, I think keeping it simple in terms of the, the food combining rules is really the best thing. Just not having fish or seafood with dairy and eating fruits alone if you can. But on the whole, I think, you know, you also have to see what works for you and what's compatible, you know, for you. Mm, coming back to that bio-individuality again. Right. So what do you attribute the success of this book and your work and all of the clients that have come to you? What do you attribute the success of all of that work to? It's mainly um, that it's the moderation of the approach, you know, because there are many books which are much more, you know, rigid and and prescriptive. And the whole purpose of my book is to kind of guide people to their own truths, you know, to be a guide for them to experiment in certain ways and, and really understand themselves. Ayurveda is really about self-knowledge and self-understanding. So the, the book hopefully will help to point people inward and just guide them to trust themselves, trust their bodies, and then use this as a guide to figure out, you know, what works for them and learn their body type, learn about their, you know, optimal lifestyle, exercise and sleep from an Ayurvedic perspective, and then to try that out, you know, and, and see how it, um, how it works for them. Because, uh, you know, Ayurveda is a wonderful system, but, you know, for some people, maybe um, there's a different approach that works better for them. So I'm certainly not a believer that Ayurveda is the best thing for everybody either. You know, I think it's one science, which is incredibly powerful, but the ultimate test of anything is in uh, how a person's feeling. I think um, that's really the what I emphasize is um, that people should really trust themselves and create their own individual program. Mm, yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it's so empowering because we're all so different and we all live in different climates and different parts of the world. And how can we say that one thing is going to be the right thing for everyone? And I just really want to encourage everybody to go within, listen to your body, trust your body. If you try something and it doesn't feel good, back off. If you try something and it does feel good, go for it. Like it's just about really going inward. And I just, am, that's why I loved your book so much. I think my husband and I tore through your book. We read it years ago 
couple of months ago, Nick's like, you've got to get a kill on your podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh, of course we've got to get him on. You know, we just loved that book so, so much. So I highly recommend it for everyone listening. It's just going to give you such a holistic and much deeper understanding of yourself. And that's what this is all about. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think we're, we focus a lot on diet in the podcast, but Ayurveda covers so many things in terms of like your daily routine. You know, that's, that's really huge in terms of how you're, you know, what you're doing when you wake up in the morning, how you're, you know, sleeping, how you're exercising, your, um, your lifestyle. Fasting has been part of Ayurveda for thousands of years. So there's five different ways that you, you know people can do fasting that I, I talk about in the book. So I don't want to give people the idea that Ayurveda is just about diet because it's about so much more and think that the, it really covers every aspect of life. You know, it's uh, Ayurveda is the science of life. So they, there wasn't an aspect of life that they didn't cover you know, in, in that science. Mm, that's why I love it so much. It's a holistic, it looks at every area of your life. So yeah, this is why Nick and I love it and have been diving deep into it for years now. And speaking of routines, let's talk about how your day looks and in particular your morning routine, because I love hearing about how people prime themselves for their days. What does your morning routine look like? I do try to uh, wake up early, um, and um, I I love those morning times uh, because I we I have a daughter who's seven years old, and uh, you know once and she's like a tornado, you know she's full of energy and it's it's fantastic. Uh, but once she's awake, you know it's uh, if I'm at home, then it's <laughs> it's uh, just about you know keeping her uh, keeping her occupied and and spending time with her. So I like to wake up early. You know, do a little meditation, uh, just about like ten to fifteen minutes in the in the morning, and then just the usual, you know, brush my teeth, and then I scrape my tongue. Of course, Ayurveda believes in scraping the tongue. It's not for hygiene or cleanliness, but actually, the tongue is a microcosm of the entire body, and scraping the tongue with a metal tongue scraper, you know, from the back to the front, stimulates uh, all the organs and also stimulates the digestive fire. And in Ayurveda, there's um, seven tissue level, uh, layers in the body. And so you're told to scrape the tongue seven times for each tissue layer. And so, you know, I, I do that uh, when kind of in the morning starting the day. I do have the uh, the tall glass of hot water. So I'm a big believer in that. And uh, I don't usually do the honey, but, uh, you know, usually lemon or lime juice with, with the hot water. And then if it's um, a weekend, I will, um, and I have extra time, I'll, I'll do oil pulling. So, you know, I think you probably have talked about that in the show, but basically, yeah, oil pulling is just, uh, yeah, holding oil in the mouth for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes uh, as a detoxification practice. And it does also stimulate the agni or digestive fire. So, so I like to, you know, to do that. Um, and then finally, yeah, just have a shower and, you know, start my day. Mm, beautiful. Okay, so I would love to turn the spotlight on you a little bit more now, and I would love to hear what is one thing that's bringing you the most joy in your life? It's actually some of uh, this online course that I've just created, um, and uh, this is a, a new thing because you know the book, as you mentioned, is a couple years old, but I've, I've created a series of online courses about Ayurveda, and uh, it's, I've worked with a team from India to create this because I, I think that Ayurveda really is just so ready to be you know, delivered to the world. And I, but I think that um, you know, the, the modern um, approach is through video. And so, so I've created some, you know, some video courses about Ayurveda and uh, different topics like the thyroid and how to balance your thyroid you know, with Ayurveda. 
talking another course on the brain health and really getting, you know, optimizing your brain function, another course on um, autoimmune disease, and a final course on anxiety and depression. So I've been working on these for the last couple of years. And actually, the timing of this is, is good because we just launched these and uh, really, really thrilled with the team in India that's, you know, working with me on this. And uh, we're just hoping that it'll be a good service, you know, to people anywhere in the world that want to uh, really learn about um, Ayurveda and how to use it in, you know, in different situations. Mm, sounds amazing. Well, we'll link to it in the show notes. So anyone who's wanting to deepen their understanding and their knowledge in Ayurveda, they can go and check it out. Great. I would love to hear now, what is something that you're working on within yourself or you would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Yeah, I think um, it's really uh, exercise. I think uh, that's one thing that, um, you know, just like anybody else, it's very hard to find the time you know, to, to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I recently did some genetic testing on myself and um, I, I found that um, I have um, some of the genes that... Um, really make um, exercise very important for my body. And also I feel, you know, a huge difference when I do exercise regularly. So uh, even though it's a very basic thing, I, I feel like I've kind of been slacking off and uh, the past few months, you know, not been going to the gym as often as I could and uh, have done before. So that's something that I'm trying to, you know, resume again. And in fact, as soon as I get off the phone, I'm going to go to the gym today. So that's my uh, my goal. And uh, it's something that I uh, am keep, you know, trying to get as more regular into my life. Awesome. Now let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your books, what book would you choose? Wonderful question. You know what, I, I think that we don't have enough uh, teaching about um, how to live life. I think, you know, what we need is just basic, you know, information about other topics in life, like, you know, um, how to deal with suffering, how to learn about spirituality. And there's a book that I really like, which um, touches on those. It's called The Prophet by um, Khalil Gibran. And um, I remember reading that in high school. It's a, it's a work of fiction, but, you know, he really touched on a lot of these um, deeper issues of meaning and purpose and direction in life and, you know, emotional well-being and spirituality. And uh, when I read that in high school, you know, it was very eye-opening. And uh, uh, I think for me, it was a really helpful guide to start thinking about, you know, some of those other areas and really expanding my worldview, you know, because I, I think... Uh, Life is so much more than just academics, you know, what we get in, in school. And so um, that was a book that I, I think uh, I, would, I would put on that list. Mm, great. I'm going to have a read of that one. Haven't read it. So it sounds very interesting. Oh, yeah. You, you'll love it. Um, yeah. Khalil Gibran was a poet from Lebanon and, uh, you know, deeply spiritual man, um, very prolific writer. And um, one of his uh, seminal books is, is called The Prophet. Mm, I love it. Okay, cool. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Now, I would love to hear what are three things you are most recently grateful for? Today, you know, I, I think uh, I was just thinking about uh, my daughter. Her name is Alicia. And, uh, um, just what a you know light she is in uh, in our lives, and you know, and she's really been a um, a teacher to me as well, you know, and uh, wise beyond her years. And so I'm you know definitely so grateful uh, for her. I'm also very grateful for you know just having a roof over my head. I think that it's not something I take for granted, and you know I know that there's uh, many people in the world struggling financially and having you know having that 
that uh, uh, that challenge. Um, and then I'm very grateful to have um, also access to all the, the knowledge, you know, on health and wellness that's uh, out there today, you know, with uh, uh, the internet and um, uh, our access to books and, you know, the, the, the web. I think this is a like unprecedented time in our, in our lives when we can learn about any topic we want, you know, just with a, you know, click of a button. And uh, I feel very lucky to be in such an age because I have a very deep, you know, intellectual curiosity and it's, it's great to be able to learn about anything that I, you know, uh, choose or, or think about and have access to great information as well. Mm, awesome. Beautiful. Now I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do for our health? Something that we can do today? Eat more fat. I think people have been just told so much about you know avoiding fat. So I just want to highlight that it's, it's fat is not bad. Now, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. So I think the best way to do that is to give and to share what you can with other people and uh, help other people to get um, get wealthy. Because I think whatever you give away, you know, comes back to you, you know, in in multiple ways. And and also, um, when you give something to someone else, you know, you you'll find that you have it within you to give. So I think that applies to um, to wealth. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? Not using our phones too much. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the technology is a double-edged sword. And, you know, of course, we do need to use it, use them. But um, I think just connecting in person with, uh, with people, you know, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, uh, I think just good old-fashioned, um, you know, in-person human connection is kind of um, being lost. So that's a basic thing which we need as human beings. I absolutely agree. So important. We are seemingly more connected through the internet and social media, but feeling more disconnected than ever before. And, you know, even though we have these amazing platforms and and I love these social media platforms, you know, nothing can replace in-person, heart-to-heart connection, sitting in front of someone and having that deep conversation, you know, nothing can replace that. Yes, I, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. So one more question for you. What is one thing that I personally and the listeners can do to serve you today? You spoke about service and serving others. So how can we serve you? I would say to um, um, to pray for peace in the world, you know, because I think that's uh, something that I um, think about a lot. There's so much uh, division and conflict, you know, here in the U.S., uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have been following the news. Um, so I just think... Um, that prayer is so powerful. And, um, you know, if any, uh, if more and more people pray and send, you know, positive and peaceful energy to the world, I mean, I do believe that would, is going to make a difference over time. Mm, Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to share or say to our beautiful audience that we haven't touched on or any last words of wisdom? Um, yeah, I, I would say that, um, you know, the, one of my colleagues who's a um, Feldenkrais uh, teacher uh, told me that the definition of health is the ability ability to live your dreams. And uh, that's how Feldenkrais defines health. And so I think, um, you know, that's 
something important to keep in mind is what you know what's the purpose of health you know what are what are your dreams or your passions or what would you want to use a healthy body for you know and those questions are no less important than you know what are you going to eat for dinner tonight so i think just um, keeping keeping in mind that um, you know you it's very important to have a, a sense of purpose and uh, meaning and direction in life and some dreams that you're striving towards and uh, you know that's really the, that's really what health is. And so I, I see many people who, you know, maybe their bodies don't get better, but they're healthy because they can pursue their dreams and they're happy. And um, so I, I think we shouldn't lose sight of that aspect. Mm, that is such a good point. You know, I think about my parents as a beautiful example of that. Sure, they don't eat the way that I would love for them to eat. But you know what? They are so happy. They are the happiest and they're on purpose and they're just generous, giving, kind people. And I think that is just such an important aspect of this whole holistic health puzzle. You know, that that happiness piece is just and purpose is just so important. Yes, absolutely. Well, Akil, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation and for all of your wisdom and for the work that you do in the world. I am so grateful. I'm so glad that I stumbled across your book many years ago. It was such a game changer for my husband and I. And we are just so grateful that there's pioneers out there like you who are mixing, you know, Ayurveda into your practice. It's just so important. So, Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I'm so glad all of your clients, you know, said to you, write a book, write a book, write a book, because that book, that book has just, you know, changed so many people's lives. And now that you've got the online video course, I'm really excited to check that out. So thank you so much for the work that you do and for being such a beautiful light in the world. Oh, well, um, thanks so much, Melissa, for having me on. And uh, it was really my uh, my pleasure. And, uh, um, you know, I, I really applaud um, your work as well and what you know, what you're doing with the podcast and making such great information available to your your, your tribe. And uh, so I very much uh, share the appreciation you know, for you as well. Mm, thank you so much. And I uh, hope to see you very, very soon. That sounds great. Thanks, Melissa. Wow, so much great information and practical advice that we can implement into our day today. I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Akil and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 87. And you can also check out all my other episodes there too. Just a reminder that you can now order my second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex. All you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com 
forward slash open wide to get your copy today. And if you head there, you can also get my free video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week next week, make sure you leave me a five-star review on iTunes. And before I go, thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, I know I have heaps in my mind, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it with them on social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this into their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.